Hi, everybody. Welcome to another edition, episode 97 of the Lab That Disciplines Podcast, Mechanical Breakdown Series, Volume 30, breaking down the swing of Baltimore Orioles' center fielder, Cedric Mullins. Freshly evaluator, successful business owner, former coach, friend, and co host, Jaker the Raker Epstein. <laughs> You get the raker part right man that's you impressive rake. right there. that's new yeah that's well you're a great hitter call me the gardener no I no you're rake. a great you're a great hitter so that's why you know. what's going on i know hey what's going man. on i want to talk about the eagles and the sixers Ugh. worst there accent the, worst the accent eagles, in America, by the way. they had some good draft picks right the eagles i saw last night yeah, they did yeah but i'm talking about the accent of uh, their fans worst yeah, in america yeah Okay, because that's where you're from. No, I'm from Tampa, Florida. How many times are we going to do all this? You live in Tampa, Florida. Florida. Correct, that's I'm from Florida. From. My, my license says Florida, Chief. Okay, <laughs> gotcha. Okay, so it's like that. It's yeah, like no, this will be cool to like, uh, go through go through Mullins, who used to be a switch hitter and then realized mm-hmm. he was a much better left-handed hitter and yeah. decided to just stick with it. Good idea. Hey, I want to ask you a question before we get to him. Um there's been talk uh, the first month of the season about humidors in every major league ballpark trying to level Especially playing. In Cuba. Right. Trying to level <laughs> Tampa, by the way, famous for their cigars. For those that don't know. Yeah, I bet they are. Um, what, what do you think about that? Bryce Harper has come out and talked about that um, before about how it's taking another element, another human element out of the game. It's also taking out, home field advantage. Do you have any thoughts on humidors, baseballs being in humidors prior to a game and then being brought out so it levels the playing field for each ballpark? Yeah, I mean, I I, I get it. Because uh, balls sit, like, in Arizona, mm-hmm. especially in Colorado, especially where the humidity has been, like, 18% the past three weeks. Yeah, Those balls get dry and they get hard and they fly. You know, the ball flies just as well in Arizona as it does here because of that, because of the dry air, not necessarily the elevation. So, um, but there's just less wind resistance when there's no humidity in the air. So uh, they went, they went to that years ago here in Colorado. I know I didn't think this was a new thing, the humidor, I guess maybe in certain areas they didn't have to do it, you know, maybe in the Southeast. Mm-hmm. or the west coast but in colorado they've been doing it at least for the last i don't know 10 years that i can remember eight years something like that so um i get it like it's it's a part you know if they're gonna do that you know and it helps whatever that helps soften the ball so they get a better grip and they won't get as many blisters and things like that so yeah i don't really have a problem with the with the humidor when they brought that to colorado the the offense really did go down. Like it was very, very noticeable because those balls weren't jumping quite as much. Yeah. Yeah. But do you agree with Bryce Harper's sentiment about how it it takes away the home field advantage somewhat? And I I actually, I agree with him a hundred percent. I agree with that. Yeah. Cause that's what it was all about. Especially Mm -hmm. here in Colorado. It was like, they called them the Blake street bombers because they just mashed. They hit bombs. They didn't care what the, they were going to score 10 runs a game. Like that was their idea. We've got to score 10 runs a game and outscore the competition. And they built a team around that because of their their home field advantage. You know, it's like Colorado has the home field advantage a lot. Like in the, in the NFL, the reason they're pretty good at home is because of that altitude. It's tough to get that oxygen in and be be normal. If you look at CU basketball, University of Colorado basketball, they're always really, really good at home because, you know, all of a sudden these teams that aren't used to training at that altitude, all of a sudden they come up here, they got to run the court for 60 minutes and, and it beats them up. So 
mm-hmm. um, yeah, it definitely it definitely does take away some of that. Speaking of guy of, of, of a guy who hits bombs, Cedric Mullins, the centerpiece of today's episode, we're breaking down his swing mechanical breakdown series, volume thirty. Last year, I didn't know this. This was from the Orioles media relations department. He was the first Baltimore Oriole in franchise history. I couldn't believe this at first because they've had so many. They've had so many great players. Yeah, go through the Baltimore Orioles organization. He was the first yeah. player. You hit it on the nose. He was the first player to to reach the 30-30 mark last year yeah, in 2021. Brady I was, Anderson. I was very surprised. Cal Ripken yeah. Jr. I mean, Albert yeah. Bell. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Yeah. Very Especially you that. guys that can run, because Anderson could run. Mm-hmm. Trying to think of guys back in the day. Frank Robinson was an Oriole, mm-hmm. but I guess he wasn't a big stolen base guy. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah. man, that, that is incredible, because they've had some hitters from, you know, the beginning, Boog Powell, yeah, probably not going to steal any bases. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, they had Brooks Robinson. Yeah, and of course the one Ripken, that I Ripken, yeah. Manny Machado. I mean, just going right back a few years, right, right. I mean, yeah, never um, sold thirty bags. I'm looking up. Uh, I, I forgot to do this in my prep, so I, I apologize. Um, by the way, I just want to say something. Um, I'm Googling when I was prepping this week for the show when i was googling cedric mullins i would google cedric and he would he wouldn't even come up on the first okay he wouldn't even come up the the, entertainer would come up yeah he would come up sixth on the google list baseball should work on that that's a marketing thing by the way just want to throw that out there get off my soapbox yeah and an interesting history like a did he played one year at college ball or something like that he played at small college he played at lewis yeah he played at lewisburg then went to campbell What's third- Lewisburg, a junior college? Yes. And then 13th okay. round draft selection. Pretty uh, great. By the Orioles. Now, um, he's still young, 27 years old, born October 1st, 1994. You know who else was born in the year of our Lord, 1994? Not me, but you know who else? My I'm sure there were a lot, of, a lot of people were born <laughs> in um, 1994. So he's, I'm going to ask you this um, with Mullins. He's five, eight, not a big guy, but he does. Awesome. He has a lot of pop. I want to yeah. 30 home runs. Okay. If you filled out a scouting report for him going back to his amateur days, you probably wouldn't have put his power ceiling at 30 home runs. He fooled everybody with that. Could you consider him? He's off to a little bit of a slow start in 2022. Mm-hmm. And a lot of home runs of his home runs last year, by the way, came against the Yankees. He loves hitting against the Yankees yeah. for whatever reason. Would you consider him a possible power hitter in the future? You know, he, he almost gives you a little bit of, uh, you know, Altuve. Mm-hmm. Uh, not, as, not as violent, not nearly as violent. I don't think he's as strong as Altuve. Altuve is really put together. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe an Albies, uh, mm-hmm. you know, like kind of gives me that Albies feel size wise, um, you know, hitting from the left, left side of the plate. I, I he does, he hits balls 400 feet, you know, yeah. but he's, he has a, he, he has a very adjustable swing that we're going to look at today. Um, different pitches and high pitches, you know, and, and low pitches and he can, he can get to those pitches, but, you know, sometimes hitting home runs is about, having a consistent launch angle and swing point. And it's not about trying to hit home runs all the time, you know, really trying to 
drop and drive, if you will, uh, you know, which is what I tried to do. I was a big guy. I was trying mm-hmm. to hit balls hard and far where I, it, sometimes it looks like he's just playing sandlot baseball. He's just playing wiffle ball. Sometimes mm-hmm. his back foot comes flying all over the place. Sometimes he has a one-hand fall through. Sometimes he has a two-hand fall through. Sometimes he has a high finish. Sometimes a low finish. He just seems to be a very um, athletic hitter that, that learned how to hit by hitting baseballs. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily by being very, you know, mechanical. And I think, um, you know, he's kind of old school in that regard. Yeah. Yeah. In 2016, just for a little more context, in the, when he was in the minor leagues, he was at Class A Delmarva. This was before the realignment, of course. Mm-hmm. But when he was at Class A, he had 14 home runs. That was a career high. Then very next year in 2017, he hit 13. So there was that power, that peak of power there. There was a little peak yeah. into his possibly into what his future would be on the power side. But last year, he blew it out of the water with those 30 home runs. I mean, he blew it out of the water. It wasn't right. anywhere close to what you were expecting him on the power side to, to do statistically. Yeah, and we'll see if he can back that up. You know, is, is he going to back it up, you know, over the next couple of years? Or is he going to go back to his 10 to 15 home runs a yeah. year? We won't know. But for 5'8 and 175 pounds, it's pretty awesome. You know, so, in this day and age, as big as center fielders are, like it's pretty cool to watch this guy roam out there. Yeah, yeah. So fan graphs, just want to throw this out there too. They have a couple of uh, projections for his 2022 season. I know we're already a month into the year, but this is according to fan graphs. He, they projected him, stupid phone. No, he, they projected him to play in 138 games and to get 585 plate appearances. Now, they projected him also to drive in 55 runs, steal 24 bases, have a strikeout percentage of 18.8, walk percentage of 7.7. But here's the real number that I'm looking at that goes off the power from last year. His isolated power, above average, 189. That was, again, projected for 2022. Yeah. You know how I love projections. I know, I know, I know. Slugging he could break his hand, he could break his hand tomorrow. Projections done. So I'm trying to. So you don't. You have a thing again. You're against. Can we go into that for a second, or should we just let it go? Appreciate all American. I'm just curious. Why? Why are you so against? I'm not for or against. I'm. I'm right neutral. I'm, I'm Jimmy neutral right down the middle. Yeah. Why are you against projections? I'm curious. And from a coaching for- perspective, I'm just curious. Yeah, projections and accolades. I mean, I, I could project somebody in terms of, okay, I feel like they're going to get bigger and stronger. They're going to learn the strike zone a little bit better, you know, especially mm-hmm. at the college level or younger MLB players that are learning the game and they're surrounded by you know, mentors, if you will. But um, no, I'm, I'm like, a, I'm, I'm more of a preseason, the preseason All-American stuff, like just drives me crazy. Or preseason All-State, like before the season starts or the first week of the season. Oh, this this is a preseason all SEC. T- we don't know. So you put that out there. Yes, they had a great year last year. But who knows what happens? Maybe somebody breaks up with their boyfriend or their girlfriend. Maybe they have problems at home. Maybe a parent passes away. Maybe they get injured. Maybe they're having trouble at study hall and their grades are going. But you can't project all Americans. Let them play the season. Then you can give them an award. That's what I'm all about. What about on the what about what about on the professional side? You don't like that either. I'm guessing. Well, I'm okay. I'm okay more with the professional side. 
because they're not giving him accolades. They're not saying, oh, he's going to be a preseason all-star. Preseason well, World Series champ. You know, they're going to say, okay, we're going to, we're thinking he's going to project into a guy that hits for more power this year or a guy that maybe hits for more average this mm-hmm. year. You know, I, I'm okay with those kind of projections. Um, by or the way, walking more. Uh, on a serious note, I do want to give my condolences to the family of Lauren um, Burnett and, of course, JMU. Um, I've done a podcast before with Jimmy Jackson, who is the pitching coach at JMU. Uh, so he he know he knew who that young gal who just yeah. passed away, softball player. So I want to give we want to give our condolences uh, to her, her family, and of course to uh, the JMU family as well. Um, speaking, of course, about uh, about college, but um, I do want to say this: Who would have projected? Um, the Mar- Miami Marlins to be playing as well as they are. Do we have a Do we have a dark horse here this year? Do we have a a dark horse that I may or may not have uh, possibly predicted? I don't, I don't know. <clears throat> I I think that horse may run out of gas in another couple of weeks. <laughs> uh, maybe that's uh, a you know tough I'm, division. That's a tough division they're in. Maybe. There's my. <laughs> see, I'm all my, for the Marlins, though. See, people like my projections. Do you know why? You have good projections because they're right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I had to say it. Then you're right half the time. That's good. <laughs> I know. Fifty-fifty <laughs> uh, flip, flip of a coin. <laughs> um. Okay. So uh, with Mullins. Would you like to uh, get into the analysis with Cedric? There's not many, there's not many. And the reason we didn't, we're not going into him for the audience listening and watching as much as we did Juan Soto last week is because there's a little bit of a smaller sample size. 2021 yeah. was his first full season. He's, he always has yeah. two little bit of over two years of service time. So why don't we, why don't we get into the analysis? All right. So getting into, uh, you know, Mullins here. So what's cool is, is we got a high pitch, on the left. And so one of the reasons we're, we're doing this analysis isn't just for Cedric Mullins, it's for everybody to learn how to, how to hit different pitches. And I, I made that comment earlier about, you know, he looks like he, he learned how to hit on, on the sand lot. And that's exactly what we, we see. He's covering a pitch here against what Jim said earlier, the Yankees. That's um, and for the, I'm know, sorry, right up, for the audience listening, these are front yeah. views, by the way. Front views, yes. Yeah. So yeah. make sure you 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 view this on the, on the YouTube page so you can see the full analysis. But um, so we have kind of front views here, and I have it stopped right at contact. And you know, this is probably these these pitches are probably three feet. You know, they're they're probably three feet, two and a half to three feet in height variation here. So one pitch is at his letters, his le- his armpit. And the other one is right at his knee. So he's able to hit both of these out of the park. So if I bring this video back, we're going to bring the, the video back and, and watch a little bit of his stride and rhythm. But you can see he coils a ton in his stride. Um, he keeps his front knee in. One of the things I'm seeing a lot with young players, especially, um, well, he's actually a left-handed thrower, I believe, but especially with right-handed throwers is, when they take and have a leg kick, they'll actually open their front knee um, during the stride and then close it when they land, which is kind of a goofy move. So we want to make sure that we're, uh, you know, I'll always tell players, hey, you, you know, show them your pocket, you know, show them your show them your hip pocket when you're striding. So the cool part is on the right, it's a left-handed pitcher. Okay, so that pitcher is, you know, throwing from the second base side. 
So it's, he really has to stretch his neck. And you can see pretty similar view we have here, um, which is awesome. But notice on the left, because he's facing a right-handed pitcher, notice how much more counter-rotation he has. So you, you notice how much of his back is turned. I guess that's the best way to say it. And it's because he's looking over towards the shortstop side to pick up the ball. But when he's facing a lefty, he can't turn quite as much. Okay. Now, fortunately for him, he's super flexible in his neck, so he's still able to create a lot of turn. It's just not quite as much. The best way to look at it is if you look at the amount of jersey next to the three on his back. You know, he's number 31. So on the, on the high pitch coming from a right hand, you can see there's more jersey showing on that side than the other side. Okay. It's very good. So that's why very important for players, try to keep your back eye. Make sure your back eye is as flat as possible to see the pitch. Okay, from a right, if you're a righty on righty, it's a little bit tougher. Righty on lefty, it's always a little bit easier. So one of the other things he does is when he lands with his front foot, he lands very close. Okay, so now I'm going to bring him to heel plant. You can see his, his front knee is opening, but his front foot is closed. So he doesn't have a ton of separation at all. At heel plant, his hips are very square. Okay, they're very parallel. If you drew a line, I mean, through, you know, through from his back hip to his front hip, it's it's very parallel to this batter's box line. It's very parallel to his, his toe line here. Mm-hmm. All right. So he's not opening his front side a ton. So it's pretty cool, right? 175 pounds, 5'8". He's probably not creating more than, you know, 28 degrees of torque. Okay. It's not a big Donaldson move or anything like that. So where is he getting his power from? You know, probably his athleticism, you know, probably finding barrels. Um, you can see here on the high pitch, we're going to bring him forward. Now, all of a sudden, you can see his hip starting to open. That's going to open his front knee more. And then you'll probably finally see his front foot open. But his front foot really doesn't open until after contact, Okay, which puts a lot of stress on it. You can see then all of a sudden, he spins on his front heel there to get to that pitch. But something really cool to see, right? We talk a lot like... I know about my hitters and what we're trying to work with and adjustability and, and working guys out and not only setting the tee at the knees or setting the tee at the th- Like, look at these pitches. Look at his bad vertical angle on these pitches. So the high pitch, he's only dropping his barrel. It says 12 degrees. On the low pitch, he's at like 38. Okay? I want you to do both. I did a lesson yesterday with a kid for the first time. We threw the blast sensor on it. Uh, because he had a big barrel drop and everything he was doing was like, you know, 38 to 42 degrees with his barrel drop. And he was swinging up like 24 degrees. I put that thing on him and I was like, look, I want you to be able to do both. I want you to be able to, if I say, Hey, swing zero, swing down on this one, give me a negative number. I want you to be able to do it. Or, Hey, I want you to swing up more. See if you can hit 15 degree with your attacking. I want that adjustability. Okay. We're not robots. We don't just, coil and uncoil when we hit we have to be adjustable in the swing and that's exactly what we see with him you can see it more his head's down more on the low pitch you can see his upper body you know a lot of people talk about this tilt this inward tilt with your spine in order to get to low pitches which is great which is totally right but if if you're only taught to lean in and create a you know a posture going in how are you going to hit this high pitch? So if you look at this one, look how straight up his, his spine is. Okay. Again, we have to be able to adjust that. 
It's not one move. And how do we do that? We work out the different parts of the strike zone. Okay. So really, really cool guy to see. I mean, his lower half looks, you know, he, he's not an over rotator at all. He hits this ball, the high pitch into right center field. Look at his hips stop through contact. Like his hips aren't even rotating through contact. He's just releasing the barrel. So as his barrel turns the corner, his belt is still facing center field. Okay. One of the things, his, this high pitch swing reminds me of Carlos Beltran so much. Okay. If you look at his follow through where he just slices, I'm going to draw this line. Okay. So that's the line. Where does his follow through come after? It almost connects. So if I continue that line, it's his follow through is like almost under that arc. See how low his follow through is. It's like underneath his shoulder. So many people are like, you got to finish high, you got to finish high, you got to finish high. Not all the time. And not everybody. Sometimes I have players try to finish low because they finish high and they top everything. If we look at this one, so watch this. I'm going to draw that same line and watch how he finishes. He stays under that line, but watch how much higher his follow through is on this swing. So if we look at this kind of this arc, now all of a sudden he brings his hands way higher because it was a low pitch. And so people, you know, are, things are different, right? One's a high follow through, one's a low follow through. One he leaned in more, one he was more upright. And what were the the, the variables that were were pretty much consistent? It was going to be his stride, okay? His front foot lands. Let's see what this one looks like. We didn't look at this on the on the right, the uh, other one. So, yeah, this is interesting. So the pitch on the left that he pulled, his stance, he actually dove a little bit. You can see his front toes are closer to home plate than his back toes. On the other one he hit, he was pretty, I would say, parallel. Here's the batter's box line here. So he's pretty parallel where you can see he's more closed on the other one. Did that hurt him? No, he still took a pitch right down the middle and pulled it, even though he was closed off. And that other pitch that was down and in, he wasn't closed off with at all. He still got to. So, again, super athletic. One of the, things, the last thing I want to cover here is watch how quiet his hands are through contact. I know we talk about this a lot, but that barrel right after contact. So this is the angle of his barrel. The key is you don't want that, that angle to change too much after. So you can see two or three frames after he's on that same angle. It's just further to the right. And check this out. It still looks the same. Okay. He didn't flip his hand. He didn't have any manipulation. If you look at this one that was down, that's such a tough pitch to hit, by the way. I'd be upset if I was the pitcher. But there's his vertical bat angle. And then notice after, it's still pretty close. Right? Still pretty parallel to it, where a lot of times you see it flip up and over and then they'll end up hitting ground ball. So it's very quiet hands. He doesn't, he doesn't pronate his top hand over his, his other hand, his left hand over his right hand very much. And that's going to allow him to limit the amount of rollovers and top spin uh, balls that he hits to the pull side. So um, like I said, this was the first time I've really gone into his swing. I wish we could find some side views, but it was a little difficult um, doing that because uh you know, he's so fluid with his swing and he makes adjustments so well, it would be cool to, you know, see exactly what his, his mechanics look at, look, you know, from the side, but he's a hitter. And, and I think Albies is kind of a cool little comp. I think Molinteer is more in control than Albies is for sure um, with his swing, but I think they're both very, very athletic in their movements.
And that's all I have to say about that, Jim. I'm rewatching the um, second clip of, um, uh-huh. and again, these clips are from the front view. I'm watching the, the one he hit out in San Francisco, the high pitch one. Yeah. And I can't take my eyes off of it. It's such a smooth mm. swing. From, it looks easy, doesn't it? It does, from bottom yeah. to top. It's yeah, just it's he has simple. a very smooth swing. Nothing is forced. Like, mm-hmm. he's not out of control at all. That's what I was saying. Like, he's very square. When he lands, his hips are square. He doesn't force them open. Maybe he could do that a little bit more and create more separation, but he doesn't need to. Um, he's very old-school, whippy kind of hand-action guy um, versus somebody that's, you know, more lower body dominated, which is, you know, typically what we see today is guys that are really trying to drive into the ground and they're trying to get wide and low and mm-hmm. yeah, rotate fast. I, I think he's uh, more of a nod to the past where he's just trying to kind of find a barrel, you yeah. know, any way possible, high pitch, low pitch. I'm going to chop down on the high pitch and I'm going to try to lift the low pitch and, and he's able to do it. Watching his swing over again. Yeah. What kind of drills do you think he does? You mm-hmm. mentioned how smooth would, he is. He seems very a little handsy. What yeah. drills do you think he does? I bet he does a walkthrough drill. Mm-hmm. You know, a kind of a, a walkthrough drill. Mm-hmm. I bet he focuses on releasing the barrel like a loose hands drill. I bet he does a lot of loose hands drills yeah. where he doesn't use his legs, where he mm-hmm. probably resists his lower body and he just kind of focuses on whipping the barrel through getting the knob out in front and then releasing it mm-hmm. um that would be my guess looking at what he's doing but um might be kind of a cool research project for sure yeah who do you think has you already kind of mentioned it with all these but mm-hmm. I, i've been trying to figure out this whole time who was comp it's going through my head who his comp would be who do you think of a solid comp outside of all these would be for him even like going back in history right you know? yeah of course, I, I, I'm trying to. I don't know. He almost gives me like a little bit of a Tony Fernandez back yeah, in the day. Sure, you know, mm-hmm. um, not quite Jose. Oh no, not Jose Batista. Who was the other Batista? Do they have another Batista? Tony. With with Tony. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. he was a middle infielder, right? With the mm-hmm. Blue Jays too. Um, yeah, he's got a little bit. He's got a little Chipper Jones. You know, without mm. the rhythm, like a left from the left side, for sure. He's got some chipper Jones, just doesn't have, you know, as much of the, the hand action or, you know, in the, in the rhythm, he's a little quieter with his stride and, and with his hand move. But, um, you know, chipper kind of had that where sometimes, you know, he, he had that kind of the one hand finish. Sometimes he had a two hand finish. Um, his follow through really does remind me of Carlos Beltran. Yeah, sure. Um, sure. On pitches that aren't super down, but like from the thighs to the belly button, he just kind of looks like he slices right through. Boom, you know, to a to a smooth low finish that that Beltran was kind of known for, especially young Beltran, like Astros Beltran and and Royals Beltran. But what about Fernando Vina with more power? <laughs> yeah, I could see that too. A little bit, especially on the lower pitch swing yeah yeah and, and you know what's rare you know you know what's rare too about him you mentioned he he stopped switch hitting he used to be a switch hitter now he's just mm-hmm. it's left-handed 
why do you think he did that? Let's get into that a little bit with his switch hitting. Why do you think he chose the left side rather than the right? I mean, because again, small sample size when he, when he did it very young in his career, why do you think he stopped switch hitting? Well, he probably did it originally because he was fast Mm -hmm. and it's a, it's, it's good to be a center fielder. That's a switch hitter. Um, He was already hitting from his dominant side. So that's the easy part. He was already a left-hand hitter and left-hand thrower. So most of his life, he was hitting from that side. And then it was like, oh, once in a while, there's a lefty on the mound. Maybe I'll try to hit right-handed. And he probably had some decent success doing it in college. Um, I think it just got to a point where, you know what, the stats are, the stats don't lie. And I'm I'm, I'm just a better left-handed hitter. JT Snow Mm -hmm. did that same thing, you know, back, what was that, the 90s? JT Snow play. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's a left-hand hitter for the Angels and the Giants, or a switch hitter, and then he went exclusively from the left side just because he was just he was more comfortable. You know, he probably saw the ball better. It didn't matter that there was a left-handed pitcher on the round um, on the mound, and then the stats backed it up, you know, that he was having more success that way. So it's usually different, you know, if you have a right-handed guy that's right-hand dominant chipper jones right you know right-hand dominant guy that's a right-handed thrower and they grow up hitting right-handed but then they they do some they do left-handed too and it looks good but you get the majority of at bats from the left side because there's just more right-handed pitchers especially growing up you know than there are left-handers so you're constantly hitting from that left side um but what happens sometimes is we we're not as good from that side and so we're, we're giving away 10% every time we swing the bat because we want breaking balls to move into us. Yeah. Um, so it's a problem. I've, I've worked with players. I, 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 there's a, he's not a kid anymore. He's a grown ass man with kids now, but <laughs> he was an amazing college baseball player and a Cubs farmhand and was a switch hitting third baseman with good size, but he was so much better right-handed. Like he had so much more. I remember one year he hit like, it was a double a he hit 32 home runs or something like that oh my god yeah and he hit i think he hit 18 of them right-handed but he <laughs> only had like 110 at bats right-handed that's crazy and like and like 400 at bats left-handed and he and he still hit more home runs from that side of the plate so i was like buddy have you hit right-handed all the time like you may hit 50 jacks that year you know <laughs> who knows at that pace you're yeah. on so um it's hard though you know it's hard to to make that change so kudos to mullins for saying you know what i'm just going to stick with this because i think i'm going to be good and then he went out and hit 30 jacks go figure um i have one more comp i have to throw out there i'm sorry and if i may you hitting comp Mm -hmm. how about dave roberts Oh, I don't remember Dave Roberts okay. all that much. All right. Yeah. Just throwing it out there. Yeah. No, I kind of see, but I didn't, I don't know enough swings for old Dave. Um, one more question before we uh, wrap the show up, but I do want to remind everybody to yeah. follow us on social media at Jim Tara at Epstein hitting for great tweets, great content, great Instagrams, et cetera, et cetera. And email us Jimbo podcast 21 at Gmail. Dot com. I sent you. An, I sent you an email to that address this week. I know. Even Epp sent me an email. So yep. people, we don't have. We didn't get I know email. that. I know that email address better than I know my own. 
we didn't get any email uh, questions or comments or concerns or criticisms this week. So please write in. I mean, we have, a, a, I don't mean to brag, but we have a lot of downloads on the audio side. All these downloads we have, I know people have questions. Write them in. Yes. Glad to answer them. Why is Jim still single and he's 48 years old? I don't know what understands. He has dogs and cats and parrots. <laughs> you label me a cat guy, uh, do you? Do I have to bring in uh, Kaya the Golden Doodle to prove I'm not a cat oh, person? Oh, we do love Kaya the Golden Doodle. Get her um, my final question about Mullins. Final yeah. question. Is he a guy, the Orioles are in rebuilding mode right now, obviously. Is he a guy that, and it's tough to rebuild, by the way, in mm-hmm. the American League East. Very, very tough. Mm-hmm. The Rays have figured it out. But I mean, it's very tough to do on a yearly basis. If you want to rebuild, it's it's not it's the American League East. They're good yeah. again. It's a good division once again. Right. Um, do you build around a guy? It's very again two years of service time. He's not a free agent until 2026. Do you build around Cedric Mullins in in, in the process of rebuilding your team? In this case, i.e., the Orioles. No, I think you just stay the course. You know, they with, with the Rushman and the, you know, they got their draft picks and they're going to mm-hmm. start moving him through. And then, you know what? In two years, Mullins is 29. Yeah. If it looks like, okay, he's the cornerstone now because we have a little bit of a surrounding cast and we're one or two guys away, absolutely. He could mm-hmm. be that guy. But I think right now with their current situation, um, they just, they let him play and build stock. And then if there are other guys that they've drafted aren't ready yet, then maybe you move them for a couple more prospects mm-hmm. and now you're really cooking, you know, maybe two yeah. years down the line. So yeah, I think it's a, it's a good guy to have on your roster right now. If you're the Orioles, because you're not overpaying, you're getting production and you can either choose to build around him uh, when the, when the other guys are ready to go or, or you move them and get some prospects. But you, but you, you're thinking he's probably, he's not a centerpiece guy. I don't think so. Yeah. I don't yeah. think so right now. Maybe if he does, if he hits 30 again, mm-hmm. I mean, not to hit 30, if he hits 25 again the next year or two and drives in runs. Yeah. Okay. I think he drove in 90 runs or something last year too, right? So, yes. I mean, if he's, if he's driving in runs and scoring runs, and, and then, yeah, maybe I'd think that. But with one year of that, um, I don't know if I'm going to hang my flag quite yet. Right. Solid up the middle guy as of now. For sure. But we'll wait almost like a We'll wait and see, but you can easily be the fr- franchise guy right now and be the face of our organization. Yeah. If you're the Orioles. Okay. All right. Good answer. They don't have, they don't have anybody else. Yeah. It's, it's rough, rough season, 2022 in the Beltway, isn't it? That year. It, 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 well, it, rough it, one. They're both those divisions are tough. This rough year. season. Yeah. Rough year. You can say that about All the right, Don't give up yet. Don't give up yet. I'm just saying, you can say that about the Nationals, too. I know. They don't really yeah. have anybody yet, either, except the guy we yeah. did last week. That's it. You can hang the flag on that guy. Gladly. Any yeah. day of the week. Yeah. Well, um, speaking of week, next week, we're talking about Jose Abreu. We're breaking down his swing. Yeah. You, you're I remember I saw Jose Abreu. I'll see if I can still find it. Jose Abreu, when he first came up, there was a swing that I got. Somehow, 
and it was like the greatest hand path ever. And it was on all my online academies. I used to use it for every voiceover that I did. This was, I don't know, 10 years ago. Eight years. How long has he been in the league? Eight years, Since maybe? 2013. So eight, nine seasons. Yeah. So, I mean, it was, I have a swing from that year. And I'm like, this guy's going to be so good. Like his hand path is so easy and it's so short to the ball and his extension's good. And I still have, I still have it in my library because I like to refer to it once in a while. So um, that'll be a really good one because that guy can absolutely hit. Yes. Episode 98 next week. Mm. Um, Do you have anything coming up at the lab, BCS? Uh, Nothing special. I mean, we're not going to have a fireworks (laughs) show or anything like that, but we're prepping for our our summer camp. So we have some cool mini camps where we'll be able to, you know, work a lot of skill stuff early uh, in the day. And then the last hour of that camp is kind of like a sandlot game, which is so fun, you know, to get the kids out there and um, running the bases and, you know, just, just having fun. I think sometimes we get into our season and we have our team practices. Sometimes it's fun to just get out there with a different group of guys and play an eight on eight game and uh, getting pickles and try to get in rundowns and try to force throws and try to hit jacks, which is always fun too. So um, anyway, we're excited to get, we're excited for the kids to get out of school so we can watch those. All right. For more information, log on to the lab bcs.com. Do you have anything else before we depart for this week's episode? I'm digging down deep right now, but I can't think of anything else. All right. Well, I got to go tend to my cats. So I guess we'll talk to you all (laughs) next week. See you later, everybody.